0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
1: Hi, oddings. This is the Something Scary Podcast. I'm your Ate Sapphire. Today's stories are about the ghosts of war. We'll be traveling to haunted battlefields and communicating with soldiers who haven't left our earthly plane. I receive hundreds of amazing story submissions every single week. As always, the first story you hear is one that I've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com slash snarled. Then I also select another four stories that I read aloud for the podcast. So if you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Hey, I'm Sapphire. Want to hear something Sapphire? scary? The following is inspired by a true story from Alex, whose father, Vassil, served in the Bulgarian People's Army in 1982. Vassil was 18 when he was sent for two years of military service, starting in 1982. He was dispatched to a border post along the defensive line between Bulgaria and Turkey. His job was border guard, and his main duty was to patrol the electrified border fence. Mostly, it was to make sure nobody left the country during a time of severe restriction of movement under the communist government. His orders were to shoot on sight. No exceptions. One night, he and his best friend Ivan were patrolling the border as usual with their dog. Ivan was a far senior soldier, much larger and stronger than Vassil, with a kind of look only veteran soldiers had. He described the night as still and cold, and the moon shone through the clear sky during the night. There was a light breeze that whistled faintly across the open plains between the two borders. All was well and normal and their routine patrol was near their end. Much like most days, nothing seemed out of the ordinary and the two men started to make their way back to the camp. They were almost back to base when all of a sudden Ivan stopped. He turned his head to the darkness. Do you hear that? Vasel stopped to listen and his eyes widened as he heard what sounded like singing. The two men listened and listened as the singing continued and seemingly became louder. Vasel stood still, yearning to know who was singing so beautifully. Then their dog started to growl, softly at first, until it started barking furiously as the singing came closer and closer. Ivan grabbed Vasil. Listen to me very carefully, he said. I need you to run back to checkpoint B, get on the radio, and call for reinforcements. Tell them code SIREN. They'll know what you mean. What? Why? Do as I say. Do you understand? All this over some singing? This isn't the Turks or the Americans. This is much more serious than that. Now go! By this time, the singing had become so loud it was almost unnerving, as if the source was as close as a few meters away. Vasil looked around in panic, gripping his rifle in fear and confusion. Basil started to run. He knew that the checkpoint was less than a kilometer away and that he could make it there in a few minutes if he really ran for it. Behind him, he heard the barking and the growling of their dog change into whimpers and cries, which was followed by bursts of automatic fire that ripped through the night air. The fire sustained until he had finally reached the radio at the checkpoint. Checkpoint B to base. Checkpoint B to base. We have a situation here. Code siren. I repeat, code... Siren. Requesting immediate reinforcements. Over. Base checkpoint B. Reinforcements are inbound. What is your status update? Over. As the response came, the gunfire continued, followed by a scream, as if from a young woman in pain. Basel stood petrified, his hands trembling. I, I, I don't know. My comrade is currently engaging. I don't know what's going on. He shouted into the radio, desperately hoping for some help. A cracked response from the radio came. Basil struggled to make out the words as the gunfire continued on in the distance. Then, a man scream and the gunfire stopped. Total silence as the broken message of the radio became nothing but static. Basil began to panic, wondering whether to help Ivan or to wait for reinforcements. He stood there and listened carefully, but nothing, only silence. Then suddenly... The singing. The most beautiful sound he's ever heard in his life. Basil jumped, shouldering his rifle and aiming into the darkness. Frantically, he aimed his rifle in different directions as the singing grew louder and louder. His breathing became faster and disjointed. His heart pounded like a drum. The singing came closer and closer, filling his eardrums until... Nothing. Silence again. He looked around and listened, trying to see or hear anything he could. Then he saw it. A woman with blonde hair that glistened under the moonlight, wearing a white dress, stood no less than 300 meters in front of him. She was unbelievably beautiful. Basil flinched, bending down in one knee and aiming his rifle. The woman remained still, Evidently not fazed by his threats. Hey you stop there or I'll shoot No response He wondered why would she be here by herself on the border was she a spy or a defector? Maybe I should go over there and talk to her. No He reaimed his rifle her eyes glowed in the shadows like a cat's in the night the eerie yellow hue was both terrifying and alluring Maybe she needs my help. No! He shouted at her. Last chance! You surrender or you die! Again, no response. He opened fire. A full magazine later, and the woman was lying on the floor, dead. He went to examine the corpse just as reinforcements turned up. But when he got up close, there was no body. No blood trails, no drag marks, nothing. Where did she go? Neither Ivan's nor the dog's bodies were ever found, either. What was found were bullet casings and Ivan's rifle left in the mud. The next morning, Vasil told his mother about what had happened. She gave him a tight hug. Do you realize how much danger you were in? You encountered a Samudiva. According to his mother, they are ancient Bulgarian nymphs that seduce men with their enticing singing voices. Once they lock them in a trance, they take them away as slaves and torture them to death. Had it not been for Ivan, you would not have lived to tell this tale. I'm so happy you're safe.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality,
1: This next story comes from Sarah in Louisiana, who visited a haunted railroad with a group of her friends, hoping to capture some paranormal activity. This story happened to me not too long ago in the middle of a hot July night. My fiancé and I wanted to do a little late night urban exploring. We heard about this famous abandoned train track nearby that was used in the Civil War. The train tracks are gone, but there are still things left behind, such as the blasted rock walls, and as some say, the souls of the soldiers. As fun as it sounded, we still felt a little scared, so we decided to bring along both of our best friends, Zach and Mary. Zach sighed once we arrived, commenting on how the spooky tracks had been turned into a walking park used for soccer moms to get some exercise but Mary reminded him that it transforms into a different place once the sun goes down. Or so people say. Personally, I believe in ghosts and supernatural things, so I was excited to go out there and see what the fuss was all about. But at the same time, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't worried. Regardless, I knew I couldn't back down with Zach and Mary tagging along. We got there at around midnight, and we brought cameras and a small flashlight. We figured we'd buy into the whole ghost hunter aesthetic. Who knows? Maybe we could capture something. We started walking down the tracks until we ran up upon one of the famous blasted rock walls. I was standing by myself, inspecting the charred rock. The blast marks permanently seared whatever it hit into the face of the rocks. When I shined my flashlight on it, I could see the scorched marks of limbs and even whole bodies. I shuddered and turned away towards the others who were joking around, acting like TV ghost hunters. Suddenly, I felt something cold brush against the back of my neck. Now, this was a hot summer night in Louisiana. No cold winds would be rolling through here. My fiance heard me jump and asked what was wrong. He walked towards me with a flashlight, but as he did, he was violently shoved to the floor, hitting the ground with a plume of dust. We all flashed our lights around him, but Nothing was there. My fiancé is a six-foot-two, heavy set guy. It would take a lot of force to knock him down. We checked the ground by his feet. No, nothing that could have tripped him. He was even wearing sandals, so there were no shoelaces for him to trip on either. The only thing that came to my mind was that cold wind that brushed up against my neck. If something like that used enough force, then maybe I decided not to mention it. We were kind of shaken up, but my fiancé said he still wanted to continue. Him and I led the way while Zach and Mary trailed slowly behind. Then Zach started screaming and shouting. He pointed his camera all around his head. Me and my fiancé rushed over to him to see what was up. Zach told us he kept hearing the word, ambush, whispered in his ear. Wait, are you serious? Mary asked. So they are answering. I've been asking the spirits what happened to them here. Fascinating. I just stared at them. I was sure they were just messing with us until that cold breeze on the back of my neck came back, except now it was accompanied by a sharp, precise sting. Then my heart felt hot. I know it's strange to mention since everything was hot during the summer, but my heart felt like it was burning to a point where I had to sit down. I've never had heartburn before, and I know it doesn't run in the family. All I know was the pain on my body was beginning to debilitate me. The pain was making me sad, unusually sad. I feel like I shouldn't feel this depressed when my body is in pain. In fact, I should be alarmed. But everyone else was feeling it too. My fiancé told us he didn't understand it, but he somehow felt a massive sting of regret, like he walked into something he shouldn't have. I just wanted to leave, and everyone agreed, so we began to make our way out. But as soon as we started to walk out, we heard something. A low murmur in the distance. The pitch became higher and higher. It sounded like a train whistle. And it was coming from directly behind us. We could hear the engine now and the sound of the wheels churning. They shut down these tracks for the walking park. There was no way a train could be on this railway. But soon we saw a bright dot in the distance which turned into a massive headlight for an old Civil War-era train. We started running, fearing we were going to be crushed by this speeding locomotive, but it was going too fast. There was no way we could outrun it. I closed my eyes and braced myself. I felt a heavy push, but nothing more. I opened my eyes to find the faint image of a train speeding down the tracks. I saw images of soldiers fighting, fighting, firing and blasting each other to bits. It looked like an ambush. One cannon blasted the nearby rock where I saw the scorch marks. I looked at my fiancé and my friends to see if they could see what I was seeing. They too were staring, in pure shock. A group of soldiers coming from the other direction of the train charged at us with bayonets armed, and we screamed and ran back towards our car. Everything was normal again. The feeling of pain and sadness was gone. Now we stood alone, in the dark, at the abandoned railway. Zack turned to us. Did anyone catch that on camera? Crap. You know, a lot of people give paranormal investigators and ghost hunters a lot of crap because no one's really been able to capture convincing evidence on camera. But I don't think that's proof that the supernatural doesn't exist. I mean, if you look at our own eyes, there's a whole range of colors that we can't see. So there has to be some things that man made cameras can't capture either, right? And I'm sure the subjects of our next story wish they could capture what they heard. This is submitted by Zara and it's about her father's time in the Singaporean army. In Singapore, all men aged 18 have to serve in the National Service. My father and a few friends were the last batch sent up to the camp of Simbawang. Now, Simbawang was a name that most people in the National Service feared. Anyone who had to spend some time up there came home with unbelievable stories, not about their fellow comrades, but about the previous inhabitants. It was understood by the low-ranking soldiers that the camp in Simbawang was haunted. The high-ranking officials would try to stomp this rumor out, sometimes forcing those who spread it to go on exercise routines or new guard hours. But the rumors never died down. And the fear of Camp Simbawang persisted for a long time. My dad was a newcomer to this legend, so he didn't really see what all the commotion was about. That was until he reached the end of his stay. There was only about two weeks left until they were done serving at Camp Simbawang. One of the late night guards was hanging with my dad as they turned in for the night. They talked about the bad food, the morning training routines, but then the conversation turned to something else. The guard abruptly asked my dad, Hey, have you had trouble sleeping? Now, this was an old running joke by the higher-ups. If you answered yes, they make you run around a field until you were tired, helping you get better sleep. So, of course, my dad replied, No, no, I'm sleeping just fine. But then the guard's expression turned serious. He stared out into the open in front of them and said, No, I want an honest answer. I'm not going to make you run around or anything. My dad decided to trust the guard and admitted he was having trouble sleeping because of a weird noise during the night. It sounded like... Tick, 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 like a clock. It would repeat over and over. The guard cleared his throat. Now I know that there are only a few more weeks left before they demolish this place, but I still want you guys to find out what makes that sound that keeps you up. That's your final order. The dorm that my father slept in had only about seven beds. The first six were inhabited by my dad and his comrades, but the seventh was empty. The seventh was near a window, which was usually closed, but at times would be open because the air within the dorm would become too hot and muggy. Around 2 a.m., my father was awoken by a screeching sound. He recognized it immediately. That was the metal heels clicking from those special military marching shoes. It made the loudest screech ever. He'd never forget it when they were ordered to march in them. But no one would bring those shoes out to Camp Simbawong. It made no sense. The sound came from the window by the seventh bunk. My dad crept out of bed and went over to the window. Outside was the grassy wilderness. He inspected the ground. No boot tracks. Was he just imagining things? He turned around to find most of his comrades rising from their beds as well. They all heard the noise, but were too afraid to check in on it. When one of them finally went to the window, he asked my father, How could those heels click if there's no concrete for them to march on outside? Something was able to mimic those sounds, but they had no idea what. Someone mentioned it could be the power breaker in the building over. It was quite old and never got repaired. It must be that. My dad and his friend decided they'd head outside and check on it. The only issue, though, was that it was across from where they heard that metal boot slam down. My dad and his friend decided to brave it anyways, and they crossed to the outside area. It might have been hot in the dorm, but in this specific spot, it was ice cold. They were almost to the other side when they heard it again. That loud click. That scared them into running into the building and up to the breaker. As they caught their breath, my dad asked his friend if he heard that. His friend replied, Yeah, but it was a lot closer this time. They tried not to think about it and checked the power breaker. It needed repairs, but after messing with it for a while, they couldn't replicate the sound, so they walked back outside. As they opened the door... They heard what sounded like hundreds of metal boots marching down the path between the dorm and the power breaker. But nothing was coming. No one was to be seen, except their footprints. In the mud, row after row of heavy footprints shaped the mud. Suddenly, the power breaker behind them fizzed out, and all the lights in the dorm grew bright and then died. The marching had stopped. My dad and his friend returned to their bunks and bundled up for the night, keeping both hands pressed firmly on their ears. As my dad was preparing to leave the camp, the guard asked one last time if he slept well. My dad came clean about the noises, the metal boots, and the power breaker. The guard shook his head and revealed that this camp used to be occupied by enemy soldiers a long time ago. They were in the middle of a marching routine when they were bombed wiping out the camp instantly. And upon the remains, the new Camp Simbawang was built. They say the soldiers still march in their routines every night, not knowing that their time is up
2: Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can live out your Chef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app. Or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
1: For this next story, we'll be traveling to the Philippines. Shout out to the Philippines. When Claire got herself into a very unfortunate incident after breaking into an abandoned house. When I was four, me and my mother lived in the province area of Baguio City, Philippines. I was a carefree child, and I liked to go exploring around the neighborhood. I loved heading into other people's yards or running around the sidewalk and meeting the neighbors. Of course, sometimes I'd get caught if I snuck into someone's yard without their permission, but we didn't really have any fences blocking us off, so as a child, it felt like I could go anywhere. But there was one house that I regret wandering into. We all called it the laparal White House. It was an abandoned house at the end of the street, but it didn't look abandoned from the outside. Someone came into town every week to keep the outside in perfect shape. The paint was always shining white. The wood was constantly repaired. It was the most well-kept house on the block. But if you looked through the windows of the house, you could see the hollow, rotting interior, where wallpaper crumpled off the walls, furniture cracked by itself, and insects ran amok. The house gave every kid a bad vibe. How could something so beautiful hide something so disgusting? Well, one day I was feeling especially adventurous. I decided if all the kids on my block were too scared to see if the rumors were true, I'd find out myself. So when no one was looking, I ran into the yard and climbed into the back window. As I entered, I came face to face with what I always saw, "'old decaying furniture. "'I climbed the stairs to the second floor. "'I was amazed by the paintings and the decorations. "'They were all pristine. "'It seemed nothing had aged on this floor "'where there were no windows. "'I inspected this one painting "'of a beautiful bride on her wedding day. "'She was so pretty in her dress. "'Her eyes were looking off to the side. "'I turned to see where she was staring. "'I followed her eyeline down to the dark hallway "'and saw a man in a Japanese military uniform, smiling at me. I immediately ran for the stairs and hopped out the window. I know it sounds crazy, but ever since that day, I always had a feeling. Like, you know how you can always somehow tell when someone's eyes are on you? I had that feeling all the time. I'm 13 now and have grown used to it. Maybe I would forget about it, or maybe it came and went, but it never truly went away. One evening, my friend and I were walking home from school. This was one of those nights I'd forgotten about the feeling. My friend kept looking behind us, nervously. I asked her what was wrong. That guy's been following us since we got out of school. My heart sank. A wave of emotion overcame me. That feeling filled my body. I turned around. It was the man from the house, I ran back to my house and told my parents about what I saw, about the feeling of constantly being watched. My mom decided to take me to the Albulario, who could help me. When we got to the Albulario's house, he asked me, My child, how long has he been attached to you? Ever since I was four, sir. I went inside this abandoned house at the end of my street. The Laperal White House? He interjected. Yeah, how did you know? He lit a candle and poured the wax onto the floor, creating symbols that I didn't understand. Of course, it's all just hearsay, he said, before telling us what he had heard. That house was once owned by a man and his wife. She passed unexpectedly in that house, leaving the man all alone. He put a spell on the house, ensuring that the next woman to enter would be his new lover. But he died shortly after that. The next owners of the house never occupied it, but kept the outside pristine so it wouldn't stand out in the neighborhood. After all those years, he said, you were the first one to enter that house again. The albulario made me drink some kind of tea that tasted like mud. This will keep him from taking you away from this world, but only temporarily. So is there a cure? How do we detach him from her? My mom asked. With every cup of this tea, it keeps him away for about a week. You'll have to keep coming back, and we'll keep pushing him away with tea and prayers. I wish there was an easier solution, but that's all I can do for now. So, every week, I visit the albalario to push the man's spirit further away from me. It's just part of my routine now. And it seems to be working. Looking back on everything breaking into that house really wasn't worth it. Yeah, I can't imagine what that must feel like to have that feeling of never truly being alone. Um, You know, a lot of people ask me if I ever scare myself uh, with all the stories I read and the shows that I do. And no, uh, you know, like, if I'm working on something, I'm fully in control of it. But You know, there's sometimes like I'm working alone at night in my office and like I'm constantly looking over my shoulder because I think I hear things. But, you know, for the most part, I'm not that scared. But there was one time where my friend came over to my house and she asked me if I ever felt anything here. But the way that she asked it was so creepy. She was just like, hey, have you ever seen anything in your house and i was like oh my god are you about to tell me that you just saw something because she has um she has like a third eye and she sees things so i told her i was like Please stop talking i would rather live in my blissful ignorance
0: if you're fascinated by the darker sides of humanity join us every week on our podcast serial killers
1: Our final story comes from Mary, and this is something that her grandma shared with her when she was a kid. It's an experience that she had as a young woman in the 1940s. I grew up in a small town out on the east side. Many people were returning from the war during this time, and I had the fortune of bumping into one late at night. I was walking across a small bridge and met a tall, thin, very handsome man with the most pale blue eyes and straight black hair. He was wearing a standard army uniform. He was standing on top of the short wall. Beneath him was a far drop into the river below. I swear, he looked as if he was about to jump off, so I pulled him back. In doing so, I almost fell over, but I managed to keep my balance. He didn't say anything to me, just stared at me with an emotionless expression. But then he started talking about his time in the war and how he'd seen things no man should see. As the conversation continued and the night went on, we ended up becoming friends. He took me back to his beautiful townhouse. He was obviously quite wealthy. It was there that I learned his name was Darwin. After a year of knowing Darwin, his true colors began to show. He was becoming highly manipulative, making me work for his family's car company without pay. I was always so keen on doing these things for him because he'd say he had joint pain and was always throwing up from the horrors of war. It wasn't too long before I met his older brother, Dylan, who had short hair with stubble and a tall figure as well. He owned a pickup truck at the time, which he used to offer me a ride home one day. We were talking on the ride home and eventually became fast friends as well, as he was much kinder than Darwin." Although, one day, Dylan told me something that shouldn't have surprised me as much as it did. But he told me Darwin suffered from an antisocial personality disorder. The doctor even suggested to Dylan that if Darwin took a psychopathy test, he probably would have gotten a high score. I just nodded. I mean, there's not much I could have said. But this didn't stop me from staying friends with Darwin, whose behavior seemed to be getting worse and worse. He even slapped me for giving a little bit of attitude when he asked me to do something. I knew something was wrong, so I decided to dig. The next time I hung out with Dylan, I asked him to tell me more about his brother. He told me that all of Darwin's so-called friends that he's had over the years have all looked incredibly similar to each other. They were all teenagers or young girls with long brown hair, with brown eyes and glasses. Just like me. I was confused, though. Why did Dylan say over the years? Hadn't Darwin just gotten back from the war? Later that month, Darwin eventually got his own car mechanics business up and running and bought what we called the Garage House. It was this house in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by trees for miles. I always had to walk up a long, silent road that leads to the place when helping Darwin out. There was a red car that was usually parked outside the Garage House. Darwin was very insistent that I never touch or go near it. I understood, since he wanted to keep it neat and clean. But there was one day when I heard muffled sounds coming from it. Curious, I started walking towards it to see if something was up. But Darwin stopped me and yelled at me for disobeying him. That day was the last straw for me. I had been feeling sorry for him, but he didn't deserve my friendship. I didn't need this negativity in my life. So, I never went back to his garage after that. I was still friends with Dylan, though, and told him that Darwin could find someone else to help him with his business. Dylan suggested that Darwin should raise my wages, but I told him that I was working for free. Dylan was shocked. He asked why I ever worked for him in the first place. I told him I felt really bad for what he went through during the war and was just trying to be nice. Dylan was aghast. He told me that Darwin was never in the war. You mean, all those stories, they weren't true, but he he had a uniform. Everything was a lie? We decided to confront Darwin, but when we got to the garage house, everything was gone, including Darwin. We called the local police, and they eventually found him out in the woods with his untouchable red car. Inside, they found a collection of mutilated bodies. They all had long brown hair, brown eyes, and glasses. Darwin was arrested and sentenced to death. Since then, I never really trusted people the same way. If you'd like to submit a story, send an email to snarled.com. This podcast is also available in video form at youtube.com snarled. Until next time, sweet dreams.
0: download the free angie mobile app today or visit angie.com that's a-n-g-i.com
2: america we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights life liberty and the pursuit of happiness at grand canyon university we believe in equal opportunity and the american dream starts with purpose